Welcome to Sportin' Live. Introducing your host, Ed Draper. Hello, how are you? Welcome along to the podcast Sport and Life. Ed Draper here, sports broadcaster in the UK, host of this podcast. Been going for three plus years or so and really great to have you with us. Appreciate you hitting on the button. Thank you to the sponsors as ever, Bang & Olufsen of Cheltenham and Serene AV, who are specialists in some of the finest home entertainment brands, providing solutions based around high quality customer service and installations. Beautiful, picturesque store in the courtyard in Montpellier, here in Cheltenham in the west of England, not far from my home, um, but also through the website can source you whatever bang and equipment you're looking for. Plus, through that company, Serene, they always stress that Jason Briggs and his team can offer you a consultation and get you the equipment that suits your, I guess, home entertainment needs, whatever it may be in terms of uh, speakers or something more complicated. They can get whatever suits your vision, your budget across the market of brands as well through that Serene AV company. So worth checking out Bang Olufsen of Cheltenham's website, BO underscore Cheltenham on social media as well. And as we head into the tunnel, the dark months ahead, I think December 21st is the darkest day in the UK, shortest day, whichever way you look at it. Um, if you're looking to optimize your immunity at this time of year when we do come under the pump, don't we, with colds, flus, obviously COVID in the uh, the modern era as well, that uh, if you're looking to, to optimize your immunity, Cytoplan is a food-based supplement company that we've been taking as a family under the stewardship of my father, Dr. Mark Draper, for 20 plus years now. And we have a discounted rate that we pay for the supplements. We still pay for them. I think it's important to point that out, but we can share that discount with you as well. So if you go to cytoplan.co.uk, C-Y-T-O-P-L-A-N, .co.uk you can get 30% off your initial purchase 10% thereafter with the code draper10r so it's my last name all capital letters d r a p e r the numerals 10 the numbers if you like 10 and the capital letter r at checkout on the website and you get that discount rate and uh, if you just wanted if you wanted to know i take fish oil and immune complete 2 which is their range holistic multivitamin vitamin you may say where where you live for men for adult male adult men so it's got no iron in it which in theory is we don't need iron so it's different to immune complete one which is for adult women and immunovite or kids immunovite which they have for for children as well so it's worth checking that out and we will talk about supplements with the guest today the one and only juggy sidhu who is a wonderful character. He started actually, similar to, to myself in a sense, he studied, I believe, uh, sports nutrition at university. I studied sports science, but then he went into training MMA uh, uh, fighters and, and went to professional sports people initially with their nutrition. And then he's branched out to really, I guess, empower people in, in the community that, that is dear to his heart. He's from the Indian community in, in the UK. 
and his work with people in the context of their culture, their diets, the pressures on them that he feels are, are fairly unique, that he has that insight into to give them a health transformation, effectively physical, mental, has a whole team that he works with now, doctors and psychologists as well. Fascinating guy. And we do touch upon supplementation <clears throat> and what Juggy recommends to his clients a little bit later, particularly I think at the moment people will be looking at vitamin D3, vitamin D3, won't they, as we head into the winter months with not much goodness coming from that pale watery sun when it does appear in the uk but without further ado here he is the one and only juggy sidhu juggy sidhu welcome to the podcast really appreciate your time fantastic to see you how are you really good thank you man i appreciate you uh inviting me on and uh, lots of esteemed guests on your podcast list so i feel feel honored man well, I feel really lucky. I had a really good mix of people, but um, it's fascinating to, to speak to you as, as well because one of the origins of it's a bizarre sideline, but I actually worked as a runner on a film about Indian health awareness called Dilki Batin, which I think means matters of the heart in, in Hindi. Um, when I started out, and it's great to see because you're working um, specifically for transformation in, in sort of Indian heritage community, aren't you? It's a, it's a powerful thing. Just tell us what your sort of background is and, and how you came into the, the role. Yeah, I mean... We could, we could go on for a while now, <laughs> so yeah. brace yourself. But no, I've been um, I've been coaching for 13 years now. So yeah. it started off when I was at university studying performance nutrition. And at that point, I was very much working with athletes. I was working with MMA uh, guys, people that are in the endurance space, triathlon athletes, that sort of yeah. stuff. Um, and it was interesting. I'll say that it was very interesting helping them through uh, getting the edge with the performance, getting the extra few percent. But I'll be honest, there wasn't a lot of fulfillment there. Really? So, uh, yeah, I mean, it's nice to see people win and it's nice to see people progress, but it, it it kind of took me away from, you know, why I studied nutrition in the first place. And the reason yeah. I studied nutrition in the first place was actually because I saw my dad's health deteriorate when I was younger. Mm. Uh, and it, it wasn't just to the fact that he wasn't eating the right foods, but it was the whole kind of, um, I guess, immigrant mindset that we've got, Asians really? perhaps. Yeah. And again, it, it seems a bit odd trying to mix all these things together, but he's, he's a man who's uh, come from nothing and yeah. very little grown up and tried to put as much aside for us as his children, three children, gets through university and give us the opportunities that we never had. So I saw him work his fingers to the bone. When I was born, he was a taxi driver. He constantly worked. He was doing night school to learn more, become a manager senior manager, project manager, and I saw his career evolve. Yeah. But at the same time, his health deteriorated because he became less of a priority in his own life. So, um, yeah, whilst I work with Asians specifically around you know, nutrition, mm. uh, mental health, physical health, we all seem to come from that similar sort of background where all we know is work hard, mm. work hard, work yeah. hard. Yeah. It's difficult to try that balance. Um, I told you... <laughs> Oh man, it's going to be a long-winded answer to that question. But. No, it's brilliant. It's brilliant. You know, but it's interesting, the cultural nuance, because the, the UK is a sort of um, very multicultural place. And, but it's interesting that the sort of stereotypes that develop around the Indian heritage. And I think it's always hardworking, doctor, lawyer, immigrants come in and they try and get their kids to be doctors and lawyers. There's lots of different pressures and, and things that are at play there, isn't it? Is that something that you've had to sort of adjust to in your own life and your own health and just try and be balanced with it? I guess it helps that you're a, a health a health expert, but it, it's kind of, it must be difficult. Well, the yeah. tensions. <laughs> I, I went a slightly different route around this, I guess, because, um, you know, after university, 
uh, became a personal trainer. So I was yeah. literally working in the gym one-to-one with people. And uh, I, I got all the comments then, you know, because I was a I was this A-star student at, at school. Like uh, I had a the mayor came to deliver a massive shield for me at one point saying, because I had the best results in, in Coventry. Yeah. Uh, wow. But then I go to university and then suddenly I'm a personal trainer. And the thing that people are like, oh, we were expecting big things from you and you're a personal trainer. I'm like, <laughs> wow. But yeah, it was that whole mentality. You should be a doctor. You should be a lawyer. You should be whatever it is that's got a, a big title. Yeah. Um, so I had to overcome some of those challenges. But now, hopefully, I'm getting some of the respect because actually it's not just me working with people. We've got an amazing team of psychiatrists, injury rehab specialists. We've got a team all over the world now, people based in Australia, doctors within their own fields that work with my clients. So it's mm. it's funny how things kind of, you know, come full circle to a, a degree. Well, it's, it's funny. I've got doctors in my family who are GPs, and I think you have conversations with them about the challenges they're facing, and it's changed very much because my dad when he began as a doctor in the 1980s versus my brother now, who's 34, very young doctor, but dealing with different type of patients. He's dealing with a lot of chronic lifestyle issues, whereas my dad was more acute problems and disease when he started out. I mean, is that something that I guess going forward, there's going to be, as you say, more interplay between medicine and physical practitioners? Because it almost seems these GPs are saying, well, look, it's not a tablet. It's not going to fix a lot of the problems that people have. It's a it's a lifestyle issue. And maybe we need you know, people like yourself to, to be in, connected with that system. But this is the interesting thing. We work with a lot of doctors. A lot of our client base is actually doctors. Oh. And the doctors actually say to us, a lot of what you tell us, we pass on to our patients. Mm. So it's, it is interesting. I, th- I think there's a massive interplay between, so the way I break it down within the Complete Health Rewire, which is my program, we break it down into three key areas. We've got the physical, physiological, and psychological. Because if we can tick the box in those three areas, we're going to have this complete wellness, this complete health. And we're going to be really aligned in different areas of life. So not just physically looking amazing, but, you know, when we go to work, we've got the energy, the conscious space to actually grow and develop. Um, but yeah, with the, the doctors that we work with, they often say, like, actually, we tell our clients to get some daylight now. Yeah. We tell our clients to get, go outside and, you know, start the day with a little walk or a bit of breathing, a bit of meditation. You wouldn't have got that back in the day. Like, if mm. you take that back five years ago. There, there would be doctors really talking about, oh, you should do some guided breathing before you start your day. Yeah. And it is interesting how things are evolving. Yeah, that is. Uh, that Daylight's a fascinating one, isn't it? That becomes more and more important. Is that connected to, to sleep in your mind or just mood, serotonin? What, what's your big advice around that, particularly in the UK when, when daylight this time of year becomes a bit um, short supply, doesn't it? It is, it is short supply. And if you think about it, I mean, so I start my day at five o'clock and mm. I end my day probably about nine o'clock. And if I, if I did what I really wanted to do, which is just work constantly, just sit here and work, maybe spend a bit of time with the kids as well. And obviously yes. the wife. Sorry, wife, if you're listening. <laughs> I do want to spend time. <laughs> At least you didn't say missus. That's a, that's yeah. <laughs> it, it would be really easy for me to literally come to this office, sit here and work 9, 10, 12 hours. And I would not see daylight. And I've seen most of our clients actually come to us in place where they're so dedicated to their work and the evolution of what they've got to do within their careers to get to the next, they could do that to themselves too. So the the getting outside and getting some daylight, it's it's everything. It's um, I would say it's a habit that we need to get into. Yes, there's going to be impacts on our mental well-being, but we need to see daylight to set our circadian rhythm. Mm. So if we're going to get a good night's sleep, we need to have clear markers to say this is daytime and this is nighttime. And if you think about it, we're surrounded by artificial light constantly. Yes. whether it's phones 
laptops, the, the lights that are on in our houses, if that's what's actually guiding our uh, kind of uh, sleep and wake cycles, then we're going to get into a, a muddle quite quickly. But what, what's one of the biggest things that we work with our clients on is actually, how do you sleep? Can we get a better night's sleep to begin with? Because that, yeah. that has a knock-on effect in terms of their appetite, their energy, their mood, their ability to go and exercise, their recovery. Mm. It's the centre of everything, really. Do you, do you feel sleep's become more it's something that's terrified me because as I say I studied sports science at Loughborough 20 years ago and I, but then I got kind of consumed I guess a lot in this machismo culture of like you know I'll, I'll sleep when I die kind of mentality and then you start <laughs> reading stuff from Matthew Walker why we sleep and listen to podcasts with him and you're thinking geez this is the foundation of health and maybe and I've just turned 40 you, you start to suddenly hit these roadblocks in life and think maybe it's it, you know I work shift work at Sky so that can be challenging as well but I start to try and have a strategy around sleep is actually more important than, than worrying about the exercise routine, get that sleep sorted out first. Do you think, is that changed? Have you seen that change the last decade? I think people are more aware of it, but they still don't put practices into play. So for example, we know that blue light is something that keeps us awake. And a lot of people now are actually aware of what blue light is. I think before Matthew Walker came on the scene, no, nobody really understood what that meant and what it does mm -hmm. to us. So it's, it's interesting to see that there's an awareness now, but it's, it's akin to smoking, isn't it? People know smoking's not great for you, but it's a case of actually, well, you need to stop it. And yeah. you need to stop staring at Netflix screens until late at night. And maybe you need to turn the TV off at some point so that you can actually unwind and, and have a relaxed, deep sleep. And maybe you need a 20-minute routine before you go to bed to get yourself into a rested place before you sleep. But it's actually about making people do it and keeping them accountable to it. I guess that's the thing with coaching is people tend to know that, you know, certain foods aren't going to align to them getting healthier and fitter. And they're going to need to exercise. People know these things, but it's holding people to account that gets people over the line. What do you advise blue blocking, light blocking glasses and things like that? Because actually someone reached out to the podcast saying that they, they're purveyors of, of blue light blocking glasses. So I'm interested in, in just trying that. Is that something that you advise or is it going cold turkey and, and shutting everything down and, and, and making yeah. a book or something? There's a, there's a case of optimal versus practical. Like the optimal is shut it off. <laughs> Just shut it off. Give yourself like an hour and a half or so before you go to bed. But practically, it's not always going to happen. Like, um, I know me and me and my wife have very limited time together during the week. We tend mm. to sit down, maybe watch a, an episode or something. So I'll pop my blue light glasses on them. And yeah. to be honest, I tend to start wearing them when it goes dark outside to mm. give, my, give my body that rest from the artificial light and again just avoiding the blue light as much as possible um but it's i think with everything there's a case of optimal versus practical where can we be on that spectrum if we're somewhere in the middle ground we're going to be better off than just completely ignoring it yeah yeah that's that's, that's fascinating stuff in terms of the, the challenges facing because i know on your social media profile you say transforming indian men and women in specific challenges facing british south asian and I suppose South Asian people generally, is sleep high up on the, the list, do you feel, because of that work ethic? Is there a tension there? I think sleep, I think uh, mental health is, mm. is really important too, because I know this is, um, I, I know this goes across different cultures, but especially within our culture, there's a tendency to, to shut off and close off and think that we should have all the tools to manage our mental well-being. And it, it's almost like the... It's almost like the there's so much difference within the way that people have different coping strategies. There's so much variance within it that people won't recognize that actually they're using something as a coping strategy for anxiety, depression, stress, chronic stress. And it becomes a, a 
bigger problem as you know the years go on yeah what i what i have personally recognized is a lot of the guys will struggle to say yes i'm stressed because it's a it's a almost a uh a, a very masculine thing to say actually i can handle anything that comes my way mm. and a lot of the the women won't potentially recognize what the stress is and the reality of the stress for most of the women that we work with and i am being quite general here but the reality of most of the women that we work with is they're not on the priority list yeah they're nowhere near their own priority list they've no. got kids family work the household but whatever it is that's going on even investments that they're managing for the family and they're not on the to-do list <laughs> whereas the guys they are on the to-do list but it's actually a case of i didn't realize that i've been socializing and drinking and going out so often and eating all this food because um, actually i'm trying to distract myself from how i'm really feeling mm. so some people will hear that and think oh no but i'm actually doing it because i like to have a good time yeah but then when you get into it and you start to really pull at that thread it's like actually yeah you're right i'm just trying to get past that week and that week was really tough for me and uh, in fact this whole year has been really tough for me and i've had to shoulder a lot of the burden of life mm. um we, we could go on a, go on that one all day. but reality is all of our clients that we work with they go and speak to our psychology team first so really? before we even in coaching they have sessions with the psychology team just to get an idea of where they are, what yeah. they need to work on, if there is anything that we need to work on or if they're in a good space. How many people in your team overall then, Juggy? So we've got um, we've got five coaches, um, yeah. including myself. Uh, we've got three psychologists who are diff- uh, they have different areas of speciality. Uh, we've got um, three injury rehab specialists based around two in the UK and one in Australia. Um, and we also have specialist doctors that will come in. So if somebody's got a very specific issue with gut health or even menopause, we have a specialist that will come in and work with those particular clients. And were you the creator of it? Did you reach out and, and create the network in the, in the first place? Because that must have been an interesting process is finding the right people, even though they've got the right qualifications but that you want to work with and you want to trust your clients with. Yeah, it's been a constant state of iteration. So, you know, when I first began, it was, it was me. I, I was trying to wear all these hats. <laughs> the psychologist was the injury rehab guy i was trying to figure out biomechanics at the same time as i was at the biochemistry of physiology um but yeah i think for me i I just recognized quite early on that you can't be a a master at all these different areas and if you're going to do something really really well then you need to bring in experts from different fields to help people move on and i think well why do people come and get coached in the first place is they want to move forwards. They want to progress. They want the tools, but they want to do it effectively and efficiently. Mm. And I think that's where we come in is actually, if you've got issues going on mentally, that's going to block you from performing those physical actions that we're, t- we're telling you to take. So why don't we work on the mental well-being side of things before we give you a to-do list with your exercise and give yeah. you with all. So if, in fact, the team complement each other really, really well. So if somebody comes to us and they're overwhelmed, they're anxious, they're stressed, we can manage that. And then they say, actually, I picked up this injury 10 years ago. It's been you know, really playing on me. It stopped me from exercising. Uh, we can manage that. Okay. And now I've been, I've been aware that I'm a vegetarian. I really struggle with getting in protein. We can manage that. So it's almost a, a stepwise approach for every obstacle that people face. 
Yeah, how important is it to be bespoke as well? Because you've mentioned sleep. If people have a stressful life at the time, presumably you're not going to advise sort of, you know, marathon running and, and, and intense weight sessions. There has to be a sort of bespoke element to it, doesn't there? Whereas I think sometimes we can look online and think, great, well, this guy's getting up at five and he's working out for four hours, but, you know, I've got a 12-hour a day job, but I'm still going to try and do this on top of my job sort of thing. There is a, an element that we get, we get lost sometimes and almost overambitious, don't we, with our, our transformations? But this is why it goes into an all or nothing approach, because mm. people go all out for four weeks, absolutely bury themselves, they crash and then give up. And then they call themselves lazy for not continuing. When reality is they're not lazy, they just chose the wrong methodology. They weren't ready for that. But there's a running joke that if, if I gave half my clients what I do at the very start of their journey, they would not come back to me. They would not speak to me after week one because they wouldn't be able to keep up. But <laughs> The way that we do this is we actually use physiology to drive the programming. Okay. So it sounds quite intense, but it's not. I mean, most of us have a smartwatch these days mm -hmm. and smartwatches are such powerful tools, but most people are just using them to count steps. <laughs> Let's be honest. That's <laughs> one number yeah. If I say to people, you've got a smartwatch here, what do you do with it? I'll count my steps in it. Okay, yeah. great. You can also look at your rest and heart rate. Uh, if you've got a certain watch, we can look at your blood pressure. You can look at your sleep quality. So these will actually drive your programming. If somebody's got terrible sleep, high rest and heart rate, and high blood pressure, they're probably not ready for that advanced strength routine. Yeah. We probably put some lifestyle markers in place, improve the nutrition, just get them moving a little bit more. But reality says, in fact, once they've created that adaptation for themselves, they're ready to move on to the next step and then the next step. And soon enough, they'll be catching up with me with my training. So I need to go and step it up. I need to be the leader. <laughs> how significant is that you said movement because as you say it can be um it can be the couch to 100 miles an hour for some people is it just not sitting still is that the biggest challenge for for most people yeah i mean look again with the pandemic with the working from home what mm. happened people got trapped behind their desks zoom meeting after zoom meeting after zoom meeting and they didn't even get time to do the work that they needed to do because it was just one one constant zoom meeting yeah. all day yeah. So this is one of the things that we notice with people. They're just stuck. Like, I have to be on this meeting. I have to be face to face with somebody. So eventually some of our clients, they went to an extreme. They went and got themselves a walking desk. And yeah. it was great to them because then they were actually moving. One of the guys bought a, a cycle that you put under your desk, a foot pedal. Really? Well, that's cool. Yeah. It allowed it <laughs> to move. For me, I just use a standing desk. So wherever I'm working, I've got a standing desk. And when it's more creative work, I'll go and sit down. But I also give myself movement breaks. So it's really important for us to set intentions from one task to the next. So yeah. if you're working on an email that you need to send out, once that's sent, don't just jump to the next task. Just think, give myself a second. I could walk around the room. I could do some breathing. I could refocus myself before going into the next thing. Yeah. That makes us way more productive than just task hopping, which creates overwhelm, which creates anxiety. And there's, there's lots of different ways. I think movement is, is paramount for our health and well-being. There's studies to back this up as well. Steps is more important. Um, general daily movement is more important than training hard three times a week. Yeah, it's the, the communities around the world that live the longest tend to have that, don't they? Just almost a kind of uh, a mobile lifestyle during the day, not necessarily anything overly strenuous. Exactly. Uh, I think they did this, this study with uh, NFL footballers who mm -hmm. would train very, very hard for at least an hour every morning. And they had high incidence of um, high cholesterol, LDL cholesterol, and high HbA1c. And obviously, it depends on the you know the role of that player within the team. So it's important that we actually think: well, what do we do outside of training and the gym? And even my dad's a great example of this. When I got him a smartwatch, 
that provoked him to think actually my seven mile run in the morning isn't enough yeah. i can't just do that and think that's okay for the rest of the day and he just got moving more he lost a stone and a half in the process oh, wow. but reality is his heart rate dropped 20 points mm. so that's that's the truth of the matter he reduced his cardiovascular disease risk by 20 beats per minute T- taking the stairs and things like that isn't there we, we work in an office block and if you take the stairs versus a lift over over a year that's cumulatively a lot a lot more exercise exactly and i think it's that cumulative effect that compounding impact of small habits that you change and this is what we we ask people to focus on don't focus on the big rocks focus on some of the small ones first the little pebbles that you think are insignificant because they will amount to something at the end of it if you keep shoveling those pebbles over eventually you've got a mountain to climb and I think that's that's powerful over the course of a year, two years, a decade. Imagine if you're just moving more. That yeah. would be a perfect way to start managing your health. You've obviously got the decision predominantly online business. How how did you come to that and how do you find that? Because you're a very infectious person. You come through powerfully here. I think the listeners will, will agree. But do you miss, I presume you're quite extroverted. Do you miss the, the physical contact with people, the, the sort of one-to-one coaching? I don't know if you still do any of that. Well, yeah, actually, so um, the first four years of my career, I was one-to-one in a gym, working with people, uh, usually two to three sessions a week. So most people would book in two to three sessions a week. And one of the reasons that I moved online is there's 168 hours in a week. Mm. And if I'm working with you for three hours, I don't really have much management outside of that. So that's why I thought, actually, how can I create a system that I can work with them in the gym and out the gym and develop it so that we're actually managing all 168 hours instead of just three. Yeah. Uh, so that was the, the driving force for me actually moving away from the one-to-one, but then also it enabled me to work with more people and it gave me more time to work with more people and have a greater impact. And for me, actually educating or inspiring our community, it's what I do every day, you know, through my social media. And I get the, I'm really blessed that people actually want to reach out and say, actually, do you want to work with you one-to-one? And they get to experience that whole, that whole, I would say actually the education, the accountability, the support, the community that we've created. It's amazing to see people come into that completely lost, completely in a place of disarray. And then with the space of three to four months, be be almost ready to mentor new people coming through the process. Um, so yeah, it, it was nice to actually move away from that one-to-one because it gave me more space and uh, capability. The other thing that I found with one-to-one training as a negative was yeah. people became very reliant on you. Mm. And for me, one of my goals is to make people a leader of their own health and wellbeing journey. That's a good point. So yeah. They, yeah, they don't have to f- feel the need that, oh, I need to go to the gym today, otherwise I'm letting Jimmy down. Mm. And in fact, they're doing it because they want to do it. And yeah. they've got a driving factor behind it, a driving force behind it, other than I just don't want to let the other person down because that's not going to motivate you for the rest of your life and no. i think the key here is we change people forever rather than just for 12 weeks well that's the issue isn't it i think fads can be a problem you can get fit for a little bit you can lose a bit of weight and actually someone was saying an interesting thing that i don't know if you've noticed that they fit they find that this time of year is, is a factor in cumulative weight gain that they a personal trainer i know was saying that often people will eat more this time of year and they'll probably lose a little bit in the new year but not quite the amount they've gained but then over a couple of years suddenly they've they've put on quite a lot substantially isn't it because weight is a it's a big issue in the uk i don't know if it's a big issue in it particularly in the in the south asian community in, in britain but i'm guessing it's it probably follows the general trends yeah our our diabetes risk and cardiovascular disease risk is twice if not fourfold uh, caucasians um, wow. so it's a massive issue within the, the British Asian kind of population. Um, and it is cumulative. 
And the, the thing is, in, in our culture as well, like weddings are huge. Weddings are massive. Look amazing. <laughs> you know what happens during the summer season is people will write off the summer season because it's like, I've got a wedding every the weekend. Because we've got huge families, we end up being invited to everyone's wedding. So every a wedding every other weekend. Then we get to this time of year. We had Diwali yesterday. So mm. it was our kind of new yeah. year. Um, so there was a celebration there. Then we've got, we actually can, we actually integrate really well to other people's celebrations. So we've got Christmas around the corner. Then we've got <laughs> New Year's. So yeah. it's like, well, when do I fit in the health and well-being? But what I notice is people have this all or nothing mindset, this perfectionist mindset. Again, that's something that's it's actually driven into our into our minds as as children. Mm. And especially with Asians, it's like I remember not going home and telling my parents that I got a nine out of ten on a math test because it wasn't ten. <laughs> oh, wow. Wow, yeah. Or I vividly remember not telling them that I got nine out of ten. Any other person in that class would have been shouting from the rooftops. Yes. I was scared of telling my parents because I got that question wrong. Wow. But it's that perfectionist mindset. So it almost becomes a point of, well, if I can't manage my health perfectly, what's the point? I don't want to let myself down, so I'm not going to try. So there's no good time to start. So I think this is a, a factor that we all need to start to, to create in our minds is having a, a bandwidth to work from. So when we work with a client, we look at, well, what's your minimal objectives that are going to move you forwards? And what's the maximum objectives? Minimal, obviously, when times are really busy, work's really tough, extra pressures, extra socializing. Maximal is where actually you've got a free weekend and you can really push yourself. If you're on that bandwidth, you're going to move forwards, you're going to progress and you're not going to feel guilty about enjoying yourself. And especially moving into the, the Christmas season, the festive season, a lot of people need to keep that in mind. Yeah, and sometimes you, you do have to adjust if you're an exercise fanatic, I suppose, if you've had a, a rough night, or as you say, your resting heart rate's up, maybe you, you take it easy in the gym or, or go for a walk instead or something. Is that an important message, I suppose? Look, I've, I've crashed myself earlier this week with my own training. So the last couple of days, I've noticed my heart rate's been up, my blood pressure's been up very slightly. So I know that it's ready for me to have a bit of an active rest, go out for a walk in the morning instead of going to the gym. But it's actually getting to know your body well enough to understand what it needs, what it's crying out for. And I, I think that's the key is a lot of our work is actually making people more mindful yeah. and more self-aware because if we can drive the self-awareness, then we get to educate them on what to do in those circumstances. And now 15 years later, they will know what to do and how to manage it. Hmm. And I think that's crucial. Yeah, no, I think you're, you're absolutely right. It's interesting you mentioned the Indian weddings because one thing I think a lot of us who, uh, who, who aren't of Indian heritage envy about that community and, and the South Asian community, generally the British Asian community, is the social connection. When I speak to Indian friends, it's like, you know, we've got this many cousins and family and actually you've got this response. And it's, it, it, it's a double-edged sword because you have to look after your parents more than perhaps we've given, you know, I think in, in white British culture, we're probably a bit remiss in that, whereas I know people who live with their parents until they get married and things like that. But it's that social connection. Is that a strength of the community, do you feel, in terms of health? Because look at the broader context of, of, of certainly my, fa my family spread all over the country. And I find that in, in maybe white British community, it, it, we struggle a little bit with that social connection. That, and that can be a health factor, can't it? Yeah, I, I think social connection is a massive um, aspect of health and well-being. Again, you know, when the, the bigger the family, the more uh, more potential issues arise as well. So it, yeah. It's both, both sides of this, the, the kind of page, but I think having an awareness of actually, you know, health and well-being is more than the macros that you eat or the calories that you track or the exercise that you do. Health and well-being is, is actually living life as a, as a human being should, like being around the right people. That's why we've got such an important community aspect of our program, 
So all the clients get to meet each other. When somebody joins us, they actually introduce themselves. They tell, tell the rest of the community, this is what I'm here for. This is what I've been experiencing. And this is the help that I need. Oh, cool. And actually cool. putting that out there, yeah, it makes you feel a bit vulnerable for a second, but putting it out there actually enables other people to come forward and say, hey, you sound like me. And that's where I was. And this is what I've done. So creating these bonds almost online is as powerful. Um, and again, what we've noticed, a couple of our clients have actually said, haven't told my family that I'm doing this. Haven't told them because I'm worried of judgment. I'm worried what they'd say mm. when they hear that I've invested into myself and I'm focusing on my health now. So there's a bit of fear there. But actually having a whole community of people that are in a similar position, it, it kind of brings everyone together on a common journey and a common cause. With like, like-minded people getting together, it's a powerful thing. Yeah, that, that weight of expectation in the, in, the, in the community is interesting, actually, because a good friend of mine's a, a senior producer at Sky Sports, but he was telling me that it's almost was always embarrassing at weddings being introduced to people because he wasn't a doctor or a lawyer. Whereas for, for most of us, we're like, wow, that's a fantastic job. That's amazing. You're doing really well. But it's interesting, the, the, different, the different and unique dynamics. What about supplementation? Is there anything that particularly um, British Asians living in, in this climate, in this winter particularly, they have to be aware of. I know vitamin D3 is, is mentioned in for all of us, but particularly for people with darker skins living in the UK. Yeah, and I always say to people coming into the process, so because we're so heavy on like the physiology side of things, if somebody gets a blood test, that will give them a clear indication as to what yeah. they need to do straight away. And one thing I would say, I'm not a doctor, but we do have lifestyle doctors on board. So we actually have a team where we'd say, look, this is, these are the bloods that have just been presented to us. What would you recommend? And then they might go back to their doctor and say, look, we recommend that this particular individual takes X, Y, and Z. If vitamin D is low, then that's going to impact so many things, like your immune health being mm. one of the, it's been, in, it's been linked to your mental well-being as well. So I think it's important that we get an awareness of these numbers. And um, one thing that I'm really against, and you, you might see this online, is people have a supplement for everything. if you've you've got low energy take this supplement if you can't concentrate take this supplement if you low libido take this supplement and there's also there's something for everything right but then people miss the fact that what if you just slept better you might feel a hell of a lot better Mm -hmm. um so so often for us it's trying to get people to take less supplements focus more on what can you manage yourself and then if we need to layer on then we can layer on like things like omega-3 for example if somebody's not having any fish or oily fish in their diet, take some omega-3. It's a real basic one. Uh, creatine has got a real bad name. It's got a bad reputation. But in fact, it's really good for our mental um, uh, cognition. Is uh, it? Uh, okay. So in fact, it's got benefits for our, our brain power as well as our performance in the gym. Mm. So taking three grams of that a day is actually proven to do, do well for us. So especially if somebody's got Alzheimer's, again, it's been proven that creatine could be a good uh, intervention for that. So there's so many things that we could look at, but take a really good multivitamin, take an omega-3 supplement if you're not eating fish, potentially take creatine. I don't ask whey protein as a supplement. I, I think protein supplements are actually, they should just be normal foods. They yeah. should just be you have because most of us don't eat enough of it. Really, really, you're because because that's interesting, isn't it? And I think I speak to GPs as well, and they they say that the official advice is always 20, 30 years behind. And but the consensus has always been, oh, most people have enough protein in their diet. But you, you would say that's not not the case. It, it depends on what what they're basing it on. So the majority of people, if they're looking at the 0.8 grams per kilogram recommendation, which is it's like the lowest number that you could possibly survive on and be healthy on. Mm. 
but we're looking to optimize people's health and well-being and there's a, there's a chance here that again when we look at things like osteoporosis for example the studies that come out said that 1.2 grams to 1.6 grams of protein per kilogram would actually be better for an individual with osteoporosis and it would actually increase calcium absorption yes so it, okay are we looking at just getting by or are we looking to optimize and i think that's important and with our our field as well people are not looking just to get healthy they're looking to look good and feel good in the way that they look and build the confidence there so then we're looking at a different marker between 1.6 to 2.2 grams of protein per kilogram but then we have the other side of the fence that say actually protein is bad for you it ruins your your liver health your kidney health and that's only ever the case if you've got pre-existing conditions mm. and there's actually been studies where they go all the way up to 4.4 grams per kilogram Whoa. with no negative impacts the only problem with 4.4 grams per kilogram people couldn't adhere to it because it was just so much protein every day <laughs> do, that, do you, that, yeah sorry do you take whey protein because i know some people struggle with the dairy component of that don't they well, I take uh, vegan protein and whey protein. Ah, okay. So what I personally recognize within myself is it's almost like a dairy tolerance, like a dairy limit. Mm. If, I, if I overstep that limit, then I start to feel a bit uncomfortable. Yeah. So that's why I, I tend to have whey protein after I train and uh, vegan protein later on in the day just as a snack. And again, my protein goals are significantly different from most of my clients, but I'm having between 250 to 300 grams a day. Wow. So I can't be getting that through food all day because i'll just be sitting there constantly eating um but yeah it just depends on the individual as well and where they're coming from yeah i've got a brother who does a lot of heavy lifting actually and he was scoffing at me saying that you know you could probably get enough protein with that with your diet he was saying how much shakes he takes and stuff to to complement it it's interesting how how different people nutrition is fascinating and you wrote a piece i think it was on your instagram or your website i read it read about indian food um and and, and it's sort of a stereotype that perhaps it's um I guess, provoking of, of food issues, but you were actually interesting. You were talking about mindfulness and how often it's not what we're eating. It's, it's how we're eating. And I suppose that goes back to screen time and, and stress and the, and the inability to, to maybe just be calm in the day. Do you, do you want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah, absolutely. If we look at this, I mean, what are some of the issues that people face around their food consumption is they, they struggle to digest it. So they feel uncomfortable. There's bloating, there's constipation, there's other elements of digestive distress. Um, we look at people that are overeating. So I guess unconsciously overeating. So what we ask our clients to do is just slow things down. Again, I'm guilty of this sometimes. So I'm not going to say that I'm perfect no. and I never would. But sitting at a desk and eating your food is not the best environment for you to set yourself up to digest it optimally. So when we think about the, the autom autonomic nervous system, we've got two branches there. We've got the parasympathetic, which is the rest and digest as people know it the sympathetic, which is the fight or flight. We're sitting at our desk, it tends to be the fight or flight that we're in. Yeah, okay. yeah. We're sitting here to message, to email, to work, to concentrate, to focus. We're not here to rest and relax. So I recommend that people get away from their desk, sit in an area that is designated to their eating. This is what messed up a lot of people during lockdown is they were eating, sleeping, working, all in the same place. Yeah. And they felt constantly switched on and wired. So one of the things we get people to do is just slow things down, do a, a breathing, uh, a diaphragmatic breathing exercise before you eat, trigger the parasympathetic nervous system. So you're actually releasing the gastric juices that your body needs to break down the food that you're about to consume. Mm. And logically speaking, it makes so much sense, but actually physically getting somebody to move from one area to the next and not feel like they're falling behind on their work. That's where the emotion kicks in. 
And that's where it's actually, no, I feel like I'm letting people down if I'm not constantly at my desk. But this is the kind of fight and battle that we've got to face to actually move people forwards with their health and well-being and, and see themselves as a priority and recognize that actually by not doing these small things, you're ruining your productivity. Yeah. You're going to burn out far quicker. Yeah, we are obsessed with work and product performance. I think if, if you can tie it to that, often works. It's interesting that the sort of hidden consequences of the pandemic because um one of the things that sky sports actually we've still been going into the studios but actually they closed the communal eating areas because of the pandemic and actually you think people were then just sat at their desk space looking at a computer screen actually that even just that 20 minute break it is psychologically good to, to have that release and as you say physiologically to to help digestion um what do you think about the pandemics i've been talking to fitness trainers about the the outcomes of it and I think there's a, a sense of disappointment that perhaps has been an opportunity missed not in terms of no one's decrying the importance of vaccines and things like that but more generally that perhaps there are things here that we could learn about overall health I know Boris Johnson briefly on his own personal journey was tackling obesity but that seemed to go by the wayside I haven't heard any mention of it lately after his struggles with COVID do you feel that there has been a missed opportunity about I guess the things that we can do to empower ourselves in, in in our daily lives that can make a big difference, make a big difference to the NHS as well if we're not using the NHS as much. Yeah, so I got kind of uh, yeah, I got kind of called out for this, but my 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 vision is actually it starts at home. Mm. So for us as adults, we kind of know what we should and shouldn't be doing. Most of most people that I speak to already have an awareness of what they should and shouldn't be doing, and we tend to pass this our actions onto the next generation. It's not what we say, it's what we do that will impact our children and the way that they view health. So my thought process is it needs to start at home and it needs to become a priority at home. Yes, I think there's got to be something externally from that. So there's got to be some messaging that goes through various advertising, various marketing, however the government want to play that, but it's got to start at home. And if we're not prioritizing sitting down as a family and eating in the evening, if we're not cooking together in the evening, if we're not getting the kids involved in chopping the veggies up in the evening, that's going to have an impact massively on how they perceive health and well-being going forwards. Mm. So I really feel that if anyone's recognizing that actually they're constantly getting foods in from outdoors or going to restaurants, picking up foods, bringing it home, that's going to be something that's going to negatively impact the health and well-being of our children going forwards. Yeah. So. I think it starts at home. Yes, there's got to be some external messaging. Yes, there's got to be some influencers in that space. You know, Boris Johnson could be, could be a great influence yeah. in that space. Yeah. Um, but yeah, ultimately, it's it's down to us. It's down to us to make the change that we want to see. Is that psychologically key for all of us to internalise? Is and obviously we're not completely free will in society. We don't. We can't do whatever we want. The things will impact us. We could get in a car accident, whatever else. But do you think people? want to outsource that responsibility sometimes I feel that they want the silver bullet to come from someone else the doctor or, or whoever else it might be well yeah again I, I mean okay I'm going to be very forthright here but I always believe in personal responsibility mm. so whatever happens in life I've got to take responsibility of my actions either towards it how I cope with it and what I want to do next so I, you know like you said there something freak could happen I could get knocked over by a car today but my thought process at that point would be, well, how am I going to recover from this? Yeah. What's my capability next? So yeah, I think there's, there is a, a culture that's been driven that is almost like somebody come and help me. But I think for it to really work, we've got to help ourselves. 
And, and, and this is something we say, even with the community, it's the, the clients that we work with, it's not babysitting process. We're going to give you the tools. We're going to give you the systems. We're going to give you the blueprint, the education. Everything's going to be there for you, but you've got to come and access it. Mm. So I, I think that's the, the way that we create leaders within society as opposed to followers. And the concept of investing in yourself, what your clients are doing with you, that seems a big step because in a way you, you could say you're outsourcing, but you're not doing that. You're taking responsibility, but you're getting help to take responsibility how important is that and i know people's finances are different people have different limitations limitations different commitments but in general as we get older when we leave school and university how important is it to keep that process of of education and investment going it's absolutely essential if we want to thrive in life like it, we need to constantly evolve as humans one of our i think basic human needs is growth and if we're standing still whether it's in our career whether it's in actually i haven't read a book for the last year and yeah. I don't know anything new this year that I didn't know last year. That's that for me is going to become a problem at some point in life. So for me, it's all about continual growth. And I think this is what we see with the clients that do work with us. Mm -hmm. They will have that battle initially about actually, should I invest in myself? Am I worth investing in? Because I think there's a lot of self-worth and self-esteem issues that come into play here. And I think also there's this thought process that we should know all this stuff. So why should I have to ask somebody else to come and help me? But again, it goes back to that thought process of, well, why are you here in the first place? Let's be more effective with your time so you can make more quality memories in life going forwards. Let's, let's actually make a better quality of life to improve your quantity of life and get more from it. And that's what we do. It's actually making you the best version of yourself. Uh, it, look, I, I'll be honest, a lot of people come to us because they want to see a physical transformation. Yeah. And we've had people come to us this year and say, actually, I put my name in a hat for a promotion that I had no right getting, but because of my confidence levels and my energy, they chose me. Yes. Do you, do you, yeah. There's a fusion, isn't there? I know people sort of deride, not deride, but sometimes there's negativity around what we call life coaches. But I think a lot of personal trainers I speak to ultimately are almost life coaches. And some of them actually have, have trained in counseling as well, because it becomes that kind of that role that, that actually is not only physically inspiring, but is, is mentally and psychologically inspiring for their clients. We, I think this is the thing, like one of the, the areas that most people battle with at some point is their physical being, like mm. their weight, the way they look, the way they exercise. Once you start building confidence in these areas that you never had confidence in, it almost has a, a tumbling effect into other areas of your life that really matter, whether it's relationships, your social life, the confidence that you walk into a room with, the way that you present yourself at work, it completely changes. And I think this is the beauty of this process is it's not confined to just Oh, we'll get you very, very lean so you can walk around on a beach with your top off. You know, <laughs> actually, way more than that. And, yeah. and this is what, one of the, the key kind of phrases that people say about the journey is, I feel like I've become the best version of myself. Mm. Again, listening to that, sometimes you can think, that's a bit cheesy. That sounds like a bit of a cheesy catchphrase. But then you see it, and I see it time and time and time again with our clients. We've had a 53-year-old who joined our process recently. Well, sorry, a year ago. And she did a, a client hot seat recently. And she was like, well, actually, I've inspired both my children who are in their 20s and 30s to get onto their health and well-being. And they've started to evolve on the back of it. So you become a role model to your society, to your community. And I think that's powerful.
Yeah, certainly will be powerful, as you say, with, with obesity, type 2 diabetes in the UK. That'd be a massive thing if we can get those things impacted. And I think it would really liberate and, and help the NHS become more uh, a different type of service as well, which would be fantastic for all of us in terms of, of complementing good health. Um, what about uh, in terms of nutrition? You mentioned some of the aspects of, of, of the Asian communities. I was brilliant working on this film because we had the aunties came in at the end that were associated. And they've sort of had all the, the, the rich array of stuff, which I've never known because obviously I'm, I'm a curry and different things from Indian community but it was all these kind of incredible sweet gelatinous things that are just unreal but um are there specific challenges around nutrition what's your general nutrition ad advice to people I suppose you're giving a lot of that in the context of, of Indian food to your clients yeah we like to meet people where they are so what, what's your current knowledge level like what do you know about nutrition calories protein carbs fats whatever it might be most of our clients are coming to us with a little bit of an awareness of what food is in terms of actually I can recognize that's protein or I can recognize that's carbs, but nobody really understands okay, what should a portion look like? Mm. So for the very basic beginner kind of set, we'd say, well, this is what a plate of food should look like. And it, it sounds so you know fundamental, but it actually works quite well. And if we say, actually, if you can have three or four of these types of plates of food every day, yeah. you're, going to start, you're going to start to build better habits and behaviors around it. But I'll, I'll be completely honest, like, again, it comes down to, well, why are you eating the food in the first place? The food choices that you're making right now, why are you eating them in the first place? And a lot of the time, it's just because, oh, it's there. And actually, I was really stressed, which is why I reached out for that. And, oh, it's just become a habit to have these biscuits with that tea. And it's trying to get to understand the, the kind of the root causes of why people are making choices in the first place, as opposed to just coming in with almost a prescription of, oh, this is what you should be doing. Mm. So I, I think that's really key is this is why I believe in one-to-one -one coaching rather than here's a set rule that fits all. Yeah. Because again, we could go into that whole thing of, oh, keto is meant to be the best form of dieting or intermittent fasting is meant to be the or best vegan, form. vegan or carnivore or yeah, whatever. Yeah. You know, just all these different names. And it's almost like they've become brand names. Mm. and people will subscribe to this and they might get results and then they'll think okay this is the only way to do it and they become it's almost like a, a religious fanatic about that particular way of dieting but everybody's unique mm. everybody's got unique drivers unique life experiences and that's what makes us who we are today which is why i like to spend time get to know people before we coach them this is why the first month when people join us we're not writing exercise programs we're not writing nutritional programs we're just getting to know you whether that's health data, your psychology, your mindset, the way your body moves. But how could I write you right now an exercise program if I don't know what happens when you do a sit to stand? Like no. If your knees are caving in and your ankles are raising off or, or whatever may be happening with your upper body. So again, it's actually, let's take time to get to know you, understand what your understanding and awareness is, why you do what you currently do. And then let's start to work on those habits and behaviors over time. Yeah. And with the habits, is it, is it more important to emphasize adopting positive habits versus sort of ceasing negative habits? People find that more difficult if it's like you say to them, you're never going to eat chocolate again, rather than try and eat a few more vegetables. How, how significant is that psychologically, that, that sort of difference in the approach? You know what? Um, a really powerful thing to do is actually acknowledge what you're currently eating. Yeah. So if we were using a, an app, for example, like MyFitnessPal, a great tool to start tracking your food, mm. if you want to get awareness of what you're currently consuming. And you just put the chocolate into my fitness pal. A lot of people won't put the chocolate into my fitness pal because in their mind it's like, oh, that's terrible, that's awful food. <laughs> I don't want him to see that. Yeah. But I've actually I've actually shown people, and even with so Dwali yesterday, 
all the Indian foods. One mm. of the one of the messages I got last night was I was still able to eat my jalebi, which is like an Indian sweet, mm. and my smagore, which is like Indian kind of savory uh, foods. Nice. I was still able to eat these things, and I was still within my goals for the day. Mm. So it's not as bad as people think, yeah. but it's this perception of good and bad that then impacts their ability to just be consistent. And do you adopt? Do you sort of generally eat healthy Indian food? Is that how you go at home with your with your family? No, we, so the beauty of this, me and my mom, and actually my nanny who passed away, unfortunately, um, we started creating recipes. So we actually just sat down and was like, okay, what normally goes into Indian cooking? Because I was looking at them making a dish one day. <laughs> and they're like super fast, chopping this or chopping out, throwing it in. And I'm like, I can't keep up with this. I'm sitting here in the kitchen with you. I can't keep up with what you've just done. Yeah. So what we did is um, I got my pen and paper out. I was like, look, before you throw that in the pan, can we just weigh this? And we started to create, actually, this is the base of most of the dishes. And this is what you do to create this dish and this dish on top of it. So we created a whole recipe pack of these amazing dishes. I adapted them slightly so they could be higher in protein and less calories. And then suddenly we've got two volumes now mm. of just amazing recipes. Yeah. Taste awesome, but actually work within people's calorie and macro goals. So it's, it's easily done, but it, obviously it took me a lot of time to sit there and decipher, right. decipher yeah. the kind of craziness that was going on in the kitchen a lot of herbs a lot of vegetables and a lot of those dishes as well that's the great thing isn't it a lot of a lot of positives, positives. But look, this, this is the problem is like i i remember when i first started getting coached i had a personal trainer tell me you can't eat indian food chicken and rice and say, yeah <laughs> you've, got trick, you've got chicken you've got broccoli and you've got rice and you've got that six times a day and that look gets me results amazing i've got results from it but i also created a massively negative viewpoint of food i used to think that everything that wasn't chicken broccoli and rice was going to be bad for me and i put weight on and that's not a healthy way to view food so yeah that's why i was thinking actually what do we do to actually show people within our community you can still progress with your health and your well-being and eat the foods that you love so you don't have to turn your back on your culture along the way what about the, the, the you mentioned this the, the sort of uh, topless body shots on social media that people aspire to it's a it's a it's a both a challenge and a tool, whichever way you look at social media, I suppose, and it's probably both. I think people can ally it almost to alcohol or something. It's how you use it and, and, and what you get from it. And I don't know because you use it. You're, you know, I'm not going to blow smoke up your backside, but you're a good-looking guy. You got a good-looking family and stuff like that. Um, but you also post very informative pieces. It's not just like some fitness training. It's more about how to, how I look rather than what I'm actually saying. How do you handle social media? The interactions there. What advice do you give to your clients about that? Because it is. A comparative mental challenge i think that we're all wrestling with isn't it some of the, the interactions we have online it's it's a it's a new thing probably the last decade or so yeah so when i first started coaching i moved away from the health side of things because i emulated what other people were doing to get successful mm. industry and that was go and do a bodybuilding show go and do some photo photo shoots on the back of it and then people want to come work with you so mm. i emulated that i went through it i did four years of back-to-back -back competitions wow like won trophies up and down the countries it was it was a great experience but it was also a very negative experience because it completely distorted my view of what a normal body looks like mm. and i would be a day out from competition barely any body fat on me couldn't pinch anything and all i would see was flaws yeah like, oh, you've to lose. you should have got leaner here you should have built more here so it was actually becoming quite a negative thing in my mind do you know what that was um the year that my son was born, 
yeah that was my son being born was the driver in my mind to say actually this isn't right i'm spending seven days a week training three to four hours a day training eating the same foods day in day out i'm not taking any enjoyment out of life mm. so yes i won lots of trophies and i've got great memories that i've made but in fact it was having a negative impact on my own well-being and mental health so that's when i started investing in myself actually that was the, the key driver for me to say actually you need to have a real serious look at yourself and ask why you're here in the first place so i say to people quite honestly if you're going to come and join the program you've got to get rid of the social media channels that are showing you these 12-week transformations because those guys are doing four-hour sessions a day yes. those guys yes. are doing crazy things to their body to get from a to b and they're not that shape after another three weeks on top of it they're no. completely real so yes there's a lot of comparison out there me personally i'm really happy with the way that my body looks now mm. but my body is a reflection of how i feel internally and, and this is what i try and tell people is yeah if you look at me from a physique perspective versus where i'm today the physique guy looked like a greek god and i look like a, a junior greek god <laughs> <laughs> yeah but, but but do you think body dysmorphia is is more prevalent in men than we realize because you mentioned men don't talk about their issues do you think that we're more maybe women are more open about that i, I think both genders will have a, a massive issue there i mean social yeah. media has a huge impact and you know when people are coming to me and saying look i want to look like this physique guy and i'm like you're in your 30s you haven't exercised for the last 10 years consistently <laughs> you've got two kids you're working full-time you've got an amazing career you've got an amazing social life yeah. and you want to look like this guy who has none of that like 10 15 years your junior and has literally dedicated his life to training so it's, it's actually trying to get people to have a realization is, well, where are you right now? And yeah, if you want to do that, give me two years to do it. But you're not going to get that overnight. What do you want? Do you want the whole package? Do you want that lifestyle? Or do you want to be more rounded as well? Yeah. But yeah, I think that's the beauty. You can get there. And we've got clients that have got there, but it's taken longer. So if you give me a longer period of time so that we can work around all the other obstacles that we're facing, we can get there. So we won't dismiss it but let's be realistic. Let's actually meet you where you are today. Put some small things in place. Show me you can do that. And then show me that you can level up to get to that point. But realistically for a lot of people, it's going to take longer than they think because all they see on social media is quick instant gratification, fast changes. And these are the things that sell, right? Yeah. So quick transformation sell, long-winded, slow transformations that are systematic over time that actually improve your quality of life and health on the surface of it. And then on the back end of it, two years down the line, you look amazing. People don't want that. No, but that's, that's life. Yeah, if you're here for 80 years, you've got time, you know, just to start using that time effectively in the, in the, in the short term as soon as, as soon as you can. You, you've, you've got a piece online, which I read, which is, is fascinating. It's talking about our thoughts and how they can correlate to our health. And I think this is off the back of a listen to and I've discovered recently a podcast called the Huberman Lab podcast. A guy called Andrew Huberman is a Stanford I think, neuroscientist. And it's fascinating because he had a similar podcast about that topic of actually because he's a guy that I think from a science background didn't want to, you know, there'd be these cliches about mental health, but he wanted to unravel it all in terms of the, the neurochemistry. And he says it is actually justify that that is that's just a big thing, though, isn't it? Because we can all start to, to sort of do reps of positive thinking in a sense. Yeah, absolutely. Our perception shapes so much. So our perception of something will change how we um, how we release hormones within our body. So I think there was a really good study on this that they had two milkshakes that were exactly the same. One was called a deliciously delightful dessert, and the other one was a health shake. Yeah. And perceived the health shake to be less tasty than the delicious dessert. Wow. And 
the hormones that were released in favor of the delicious dessert was we actually released more saliva. Mm. So more saliva, we had a, a different ghrelin response to it. So ghrelin being the hunger hormone. So mm. we had ghrelin because this is a deliciously delightful dessert. So <laughs> if we change the way that we perceive things, we will change ourselves internally too. Our physiology changes. What, what do you say to yourself to, to, to keep yourself, to, you know, fired, motivated for these long days? You're doing 16-hour days. It's pretty impressive stuff. Um, do you know what? I, this is going to sound really, um, yeah, really odd, but I start my day with a very specific routine. So when I wake up at five o'clock, I have created something called a mission statement. And it's my personal, personal mission statement. It's nobody's ever seen it. Nobody's ever read it. It's just no. my eyes. And I sit there and I read through it and I get really attuned to it. Um, I do loads of different things, man. I've got my classical music on at that point. I've got scent on the diffuser that I'll come into this office with. And I just sit there and I just think about, well, what am I going to take from this day? What am I going to make out of this day? Mm. Because we've all got the same 24 hours, but I think because nobody's really going into days with intentions, it kind of just takes them. So they become very reactive. Whereas I want to be quite proactive in the way that I start. Yeah. Then after I've done that, I read 10 pages of a book and the book tends to be a personal development book. So I need to learn more on, and then I'll go into um, movement of some sorts, whether it's exercise in a gym or going for a walk. So I've got these three things that I start the day. So it's basically read, learn, move. If I start the day there, I actually create this positive momentum for the rest of it. So I've got very clear intentions for what I want to get out of the day. I think the most important thing that I do at the end of the day is actually debrief it. Mm. So what went well today? What didn't go so well? What do I need to kick on till tomorrow? And yeah. actually set objectives for the next day in terms of workload or clients that I need to speak to, or a partnership that I need to create. So then you're systemizing your approach to the week as opposed to just, you know, rolling through it. Yeah. And Friday, it's like, oh, where did the week go? Yeah, no, it's true, it can happen. And it's interesting because, you know, I feel very blessed to have done my job as a, as a sports broadcaster, but until, you know, for, for most of my career, I've had an ir irregular schedule, which sometimes my days off can pop up in the midweek and suddenly I'll get to like 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock, my wife will look at me, you don't know what you're doing, do you? And I'm like, no, I've got no idea what today's designated. So what I've tried to do now is we've actually printed off weekly planners and even on days off is writing kind of notes of what I'm going to do because it sounds sort of geeky or studious, but actually you realise for me, getting out of my head is a big help as well. It helps sleep if I know that I've written stuff down as a plan. Is Because you're a big sort of believer in, in writing lists and, and, and structured plans. Yeah, well, this is the thing. I mean, I think just downloading everything that's in your mind at the end of every day is a really important task. And if you don't do that, you do wake up in the middle of the night and suddenly all those things come brushing back and you think, oh, I forgot to write that down. But for me, it's actually downloading it allows me to, to decipher, well, what do I need to do and what do I need to pass on? What do I need to move around? Like, who else do I need on board to come and help me? Like, I've realized, actually, I'm doing too much within what I do day to day. So I actually need somebody else now to hire to bring in yeah and i say you know you can get a virtual assistant for like maybe nine ten pounds an hour right? yeah and your virtual assistants can do anything for you and what do most of us struggle with it's the day-to-day -day emails that are coming through bills that have got to be paid i know i need to call that company about moving this gas supply to this gas supply or whatever yeah. it might be yeah all the things that realistically shouldn't take your skill level but we take it on anyway but even having a cleaner having a cleaner to come and clean your house for nine pounds an hour gives you all this time back yeah but yeah. mind you like oh i should be doing that myself thanks so me about give... thanks about three hours to do a bathroom and my wife made me do it i'm terrible <laughs> in there like yeah there's a there's a really good good book um 
Who Not How by mm. Dan Sullivan. Huge, like such powerful focus here on who do I need to bring in to make my life more manageable, but also allow me to progress within my life and get to that next level. Who Not How. So we're not focusing on how do I do this. It's who can I bring in to make this happen more effectively and efficiently. So what we do as coaches, I'm here to make your life better, easier, more effective and efficient. So yeah, I think that's a huge thing is just getting clear on, well, what do I need to actually focus on? And should I be doing these repetitive tasks week in, week out? Even food orders, like we know the basic skeleton of what we order every week. Do I need to go in there every week and do the same thing again? I could actually hand that off to a VA. Mm. I could actually somebody else and say this is what i want you to order here's three or four things i forgot to put on the list yeah order it. with those online shops you can almost regulate them now anyway kind of the deliveries and things so it's you're not going because i know people used to spend like half a sunday in, in the supermarket it was like a ritual yeah. but there's yeah. ways to ways to uh, avoid that and maybe spend sunday with your family or, or something different juggy i'm really fascinated because people will be in time is pressing in terms of following you and reaching out to you, is it specifically Indian men and women, or would you work with with people from other backgrounds who may be listening to the podcast? How does it how does it work? Yeah, well, I focus heavily on Indian men and women, mm. and on the back of the incredible results we get, we have actually got clients from all different areas of life, all different cultures, different areas of the world. So it's not necessarily just Indian men and women that we work with now, um, but obviously there's a lot of content related towards the food that we eat, our kind of funny yeah. little um, yeah things that go on within our culture but yeah i mean i work with a whole array of people in the complete health rewire even when within the fitbit project that we're running at the moment we've got um an english female that's come in and absolutely smashed it out of the park yeah, yeah. 60 so far but absolutely brilliant well juggy brilliant and what's the online handle it's for, for social it's media. At the indian body coach so follow me at the indian body coach on pretty much all social media channels and uh, i look forward to seeing you there Brilliant. Well, Juggy, I really appreciate your time. It's been fantastic to, to learn from you. I look forward to, to reading more of your stuff as well, because I say I've enjoyed a lot of your posts and I found it quite illuminating. And you're certainly a deep thinker and you've applied it to yourself. But in terms of the holistic attitude to, to health and you say that self-responsibility and inspiring that in, in all of us is a, is a big thing. So thank you for coming on the podcast and, and sharing your time with us, because I know it's precious. You're, you've got, you're a busy man. Thank you. Appreciate it, man. Thank you. Well, I really, really enjoyed that podcast with Juggy Sidhu. Check out juggysidhu.com for information about him and also recommend his Instagram account as well at the Indian Body Coach, I believe, on Instagram because he's got some great information on there. You know, it's not just pretty pictures and things. As I say, he's a, a good-looking chap with a good-looking family, but nonetheless, I think there's some important points around diet and also just the context of how we eat. Perhaps that's something that's important, the mindfulness of, of just processing that food and Perhaps some of the sensitivities are because of the way we consume our food. And he's um, very good in terms of his defense of some of the Indian culture, Indian cuisine, and just saying that it's not about the type of food. It's things like energy balance in terms of staving off obesity, avoiding obesity, recovering from obesity. It's not about necessarily demonizing certain types of food. Now he talks about roti in uh, in some depth as well on his Instagram page. Check out Juggy Sidhu's stuff. Fantastic. Get in touch with him as well if you want to employ him as a client. And I think certainly, although he has that speciality in British Asians and specifically the Indian community, talked about Diwali there, the celebration of lights and the challenges of, of that poses. But I think beyond that, he's such a knowledgeable, rounded guy about nutrition, um, supplementation there. Fascinating to get his take on that and what he advises for his clients in terms of supplements and exercise movement. And as again, as he, a point that comes out through there is just the, the key point in the UK and for much of the Western world is move. 
It's not about specific types of exercise. Yeah, fantastic. If you want to get big and bulky, you want to get endurance fit. So do some weights for the, the strength and fitness. But if you if you want to do some you know running or swimming for, for cardio, fantastic. But it's just about not being still as much as we can avoid sitting down all day, staring at a screen, detriment in terms of energy balance as we talk about, but just general around cardiovascular health and mental health as well. So fascinating guy. Check him out. Thank you to him. Thank you to the sponsors. Thank you to Abstract PR as well for putting that together, by the way. Amgola and her team really appreciate connecting us uh, with Joggy. Uh, thank you to the sponsors, Bang Olufsen of Cheltenham and Serene AV, who are specialists in some of the finest home entertainment brands, providing solutions based around high quality customer service and installations. Check out Bang Olufsen of Cheltenham's website, BO underscore Cheltenham on social media. And remember, through Serene AV, can source you whatever home entertainment system you're looking for. Big screens doesn't have to be tied to Bang Olufsen per se, although you can have a look at their store. It's fantastic. If you are in Cheltenham, check it out. It's uh, it's definitely worth worth a look. Jason and, and Bang Olufsen, actually Jason Briggs and his team, sponsor Cheltenham Town Football Club. They've got a big game this week, Tuesday night, against Gillingham in the FA Cup, looking to repeat their heroics of last season. So best of luck to them. And I know if they get on TV like they did last year, Jason's uh, Bang & Olufsen Cheltenham logo will be front and centre on uh, national TV, which he'll be encouraged and excited about. We shall see. Uh, best of luck against uh, Gillingham to them. And also, if you are looking to optimise your immunity off the back of Juggy talking about supplements, we have the discount associated with the podcast. Thank you to Cytoplan for that food-based supplement company. And from multivitamins, Juggy mentioned there, I take the Immune Complete 2 range, which has a lot of key things in like the vitamin C, vitamin D3, but also the trace elements of my father, Dr. Mark Draper, who's been a consultant for Cytoplan for a number of years and also kind of a, a steward and a guide for, for my health and my brother's health and our families. Um, he's a, nutri- he's a nutri- micronutritionist, but also a general practitioner, doctor, and that, that multivitamin contains things like zinc and, and selenium, which he believes are key factors in the UK in terms of being deplete in the soil trace elements. So about the vitamin and minerals, we take the immune complete too. But so whatever you're looking to do in terms of optimizing immunity, cytoplan.co.uk, C-Y-T-O-P-L-A-N.co.uk. And the code at checkout is Draper10R, D-R-A-P-E-R, all capital letters, the numerals, one zero numbers, if you like. And then R, which isn't for anything particular, but actually is my middle name is Russell. So it kind of works. Draper10R. Thank you for listening to the podcast. If you could rate it on iTunes, if you enjoyed it, or if not, be candid, write a review and uh, spread the word. Appreciate it. If you could tell a friend, pass it on. Thank you very much for listening. Appreciate it.